Having a conversation with someone very special who has worked with AI research teams in various big tech companies such as Walmart, Microsoft, Google, and now he's with Facebook. His name is Bodhisattva Majumdar. He's also an author of NLP book called Practical Natural Language Processing, which has been admired by industry and academia. During this conversation, we will discuss uh, Bodhi's experience working with this AI teams in different big tech companies and we'll also discuss the current and future trends in NLP. We'll also take some questions from our viewers. So let's get started. So Bodhisattva, thanks for coming on the call. I know you work for Facebook AI research team, but unfortunately you won't be able to discuss all of that because the work that you're doing is not public yet. But let's talk about your experience with Google and Microsoft and a few other big companies that you have worked with before. Yeah, uh, thank you very much for inviting me to to share my experience in your in your channel code basics. Uh, so I'm so I'm uh, Bodhisattva. I'm a PhD candidate at University of California, San Diego, uh, uh, working with machine learning and natural language processing. Uh, so far, I've, I've worked with you know great companies and research. Uh, labs such as uh, Google AI, Microsoft Research. Uh, currently, I'm interning at Facebook AI Research, and previously, I also worked at Walmart uh, Walmart Labs in India. So, uh, yeah, you know, just to summarize, uh, I think uh, since I'm an academician till now, uh, I think kind of experience I have gained from industry is very different, and uh, it often uh, often relies upon the fact that you know how do you come up with like a complete pipeline that usually work in practice. For example, you know, uh, different, uh, different ways of implementing different models are different uh, in industry, uh, which is not definitely true for any, any research project that you work on in PhD, uh, because, uh, because, because the skill matters, the kind of data availability that matters, uh, the domain matters, and all of these kind of changes uh, when you go to hop into different industry. Yeah, so in, in brief, I think, my academic experience and my industrial experience are kind of complementary, and uh, and as a whole, I think uh, it, it gives me a lot of good overview about the field and where it is kind of heading. Got it. So you were working mainly in I think NLP projects, right, at Google and uh, and Microsoft. Yeah, that's correct. I I mainly was dealing with uh, textual data, so you mm. could call them like NLP. Yeah, but I I worked on different ways of handling them. For example, starting from understanding textual inputs uh, and to generating uh, natural language for users, for example, like dialogue systems. Uh, so, okay, we understood you work in NLP, but would you be able to let, talk a little more about those projects that you did at Google and Microsoft? Yeah, yeah for sure. I think uh, we worked on a very interesting and practical problem at Google AI. Uh, the, the, the paper was published in ACL, so you could check a, take a look at that later. But uh, yeah, the problem was mainly extracting information from uh, documents that have templates, for example, invoices, bills, or forms, for example. Let's say if you, if you are given like, like a printed version of a form or like a PDF of a form, how could we extract important information? Like, okay, what is the invoice date? What is the invoice amount? What is the due amount? What is the due date, et cetera, right? And how could you process that, do these kind of documents automatically at scale? And we, we dealt the problem in, even in a more challenging setting where we said that, okay, you only have annotations or for example, ground truths of, uh, of these extraction for very few documents. So how could you actually learn from 
very few annotations and really scale it up for large scale you know you know prediction so we worked on that problem we came up with uh, like a representation learning based approach where you learn these generic representation that helps you to understand uh, the the template that is present in the document and then figure out the kind of information that you are looking for and and we have tried with you know data sets uh, like uh, data sets from inside google like google like data sets that is proprietary to google and then data set that is out there in the public and then we showed that our model uh, generalizes pretty well across data sets yeah nice because uh, availability of training data set is a bigger bigger problem in the yes. industry and if you can tackle that problem with a very small amount of training data set and that that's like the best thing yes yes for sure yeah since you have a lot of experience in nlp and it's kind of your domain let's talk about some of the current and future trends in nlp so i'll start with gpt3 when gpt3 came out many people were excited but at the same time a lot of people were worried they were like oh we are going to lose our jobs so what are your thoughts on those those uh, discussions that people have yeah yeah i mean let me let me start from like a very philosophical understanding about the the field of ai and that kind of i believe uh, i really think that the main purpose of ai is uh, is to be assistive but not really re- uh, kind of like a replacement of uh, the things that we do in our daily life right so the main uh, the main motive or the main purpose of these ai models to assist users to achieve certain things that are probably very difficult to achieve right now or maybe it takes a lot of time so we really want to cut that amount of the time cost or the other kind of uh, you know human effort cost uh, using this ai systems intelligently right so 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 coming with that same philosophy if you look at gpt3 uh, the main idea of using gpt3 is to really solve not really not really solve yeah but kind of solve the task of uh, having like a very intelligent uh, and efficient assistive system so let's take an example right let's say uh, let's say you are an user you want to write a review of a product in amazon right now it's possible that you are coming from a different geographical background different different linguistic background and let's say you want to write a review in in english and let's say maybe you are not an english uh, like a native speaker right now to really convey your thought in in a, in a specific language like english let's say you want to use a certain assistive system and let's say gpt3 is there to help you so for example let's say if we can build a capability that okay you give your thoughts in little in in a bits and pieces and in concepts and whatever and gpt3 kind of allow you to complete that sentence so that it looks like it's it's very fluent anyone from the world who are interested or whomever they are concerned it they can actually understand while reading that review and so that it actually solves the purpose of writing the review so that it helps other users etc right so that is the way how we we want to use gpt3 now now that's not really replacing any any job right or that's mm. not really changing anything that essentially helping us to achieve something more that that takes a lot of time or a lot of human cost yeah i think the point you made is um, similar to what elon musk talked about in his face, famous uh, joe rogan interview where they were discussing about neuralink i know like news media made a big deal out of him uh, smoking weeds on that podcast but they were discussing neuralink and elon musk's point was it is never ai versus human it is ai plus humans versus yeah. ai so it's like you're yeah. augmenting yourself you're creating Absolutely. like a cyborg 
almost uh, with the help of AI. And I think that's the way people need to think about AI in general. If they think about AI as a competition, I don't think they're doing any good to themselves. Yeah, totally. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Now, do you see even more powerful language models emerging? Like previously there was BERT, GPT-2, then GPT-3 came in, which has even more capabilities. Do you see any more powerful models, not in terms of where you're training data set, but the architecture? NLP domain has seen so much advancement starting from RNN to transformer. So do you see any new advancements coming uh, in this area? Yeah, I mean, I would still say that uh, these are all great uh, improvement and probably the much needed improvement that the that our field needed, right? I mean, uh, there there will be always kind of a research effort that will uh, that that will keep improving this architecture and making them more efficient. You know, making them uh, less you know uh, training sensitive, like training data sensitive, and probably more generalizable, right? I think that was the main fundamental goal of coming up with these architectures that kind of solve problems across the board. Uh, so yeah, I mean, eventually, uh, I mean, I mean, eventually, uh, you know, by theory, we could come up with more powerful language model with more data and more parameters, for example, or even coming up with like more complex architectures. But I think what is also very important, at least as far as like the NLP field is concerned, because that that that, that I can talk about, uh, is basically how we are effectively using these models in a downstream task. And eventually, we really want to see that are these downstream tasks are actually helpful to the user or not. So I can talk about like a very interesting aspect of <clears throat> all these machine learning models that that we are currently looking at very closely is explainability, right? I mean, we have AI systems deployed everywhere, right? Uh, now, uh, now to make them really accessible to the users who do not know anything about machine learning, for example, or, or who do not understand the nitty gritty behind these models, they still want to trust these AI models and really trust their predictions, right? Whatever they generate or trust their recommendations. How, how, would, how, how could we achieve that? One of the way we could achieve that we are thinking currently is, is coming up with explanations of each of the prediction that we make. So for example, if an AI model can make a prediction and say that, hey, I have made this prediction because I think this, this, and this. So, so mm. these extra explanations going to be like an extra check on that prediction. Like whenever let's say I am a, like, a, like a naive user, I don't, I don't understand anything about machine learning. When I look at the prediction, I see the explanation and, and I actually kind of do like a brain work saying that, okay, the AI is saying that it has made this prediction because of this and this and this explanation and that makes sense. So it's probably more trustworthy to kind of go with that AI. So, so these kind of things are very important and language models are again, playing a very important role there because you could think of, coming up with these explanations using like a very powerful language model. And these language models are already very well grounded with a lot of knowledge, facts, common sense, et cetera, right? So, so you could efficiently use these language models to come up with explanations for machine learning predictions uh, that will eventually make these AI systems more accessible and trustworthy to the experts or, or, or to the even users who are actually using it. And more than users, I think it, it helps the business stakeholders. So if I'm working in an organization. If my business yeah. manager doesn't know about AI and if he wants to fund the project, let's say he wants to spend, he or she wants to spend a few million dollars on the project. If there is an explainable AI, then that, you know, uh, helps us uh, win the trust of these stakeholders. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, essentially, it will help all the stakeholders of these models, including experts who are actually building that model. They will know that okay, how the model is actually working, where the model is failing and why the model is failing. Because 
you, you can think of that these explanations could be like a grid a debugging tool to understand where the model is failing and why the model is failing because now mm. you have more understanding about how the model works or the model is thinking to make the prediction that's one thing for the experts for other stakeholders yes i mean they can yeah take more informed decision about this prediction based on these explanations and again it's same for the users at the at, at the end of this pipeline uh, who are actually going to benefit it from this prediction saying that hey i mean uh, they they will more they will be more happy uh, to use this system or they will they will probably it will be more accessible to them are there any tools available in terms of external enable ai like i was just coding bert right now using tensorflow so i have a nice you know text classification model built but yeah, does so, tensorflow or pytorch come up with any kind of tools around explainable yeah, so, ai yeah so yeah so you could i mean there are different kind of explanations you can think of for example i think there's something called gradcam that has become very popular in computer vision it basically gives you an attention map over the input image basically saying that okay which part of the image the model were actually focusing or attending to make the prediction right so let's say you are doing like a captioning task let's say a dog is running through a field and let's say the model actually looks at the dog while writing the word dog then you know that okay the model is actually doing what it what it needs to be right i mean i mean i mean you can think of similar stuff that highlighting different part of the uh, part of a customer review when you are predicting if it's like a sentiment positive or, or it's a sentiment negative right uh, for example if you see eventually that model is looking at the right positive words or right negative words to make that prediction then you know that okay the model is doing what it needs to be or what it's supposed to be so there are a couple of frameworks that exist i don't know if they're actually integrated in tensorflow or pytorch right now but i, I know there are frameworks that are built on tensorflow or pytorch for example there's something called um uh, yeah eraser i think not really eraser there's something called uh, i forgot the name but i can send you the link later i mean you can edit it uh, but yeah, if you can a, if you can send all those links we'll put in a video description so that people have access to those yeah 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 and uh, uh, there is a very popular framework called lime l i m e so so lime was built mainly for even any machine learning models i mean uh, and these are based on like uh, you know kind of understanding the predictions and changing the input in a way to see that okay what change in the input make a change in the output right so it's basically kind of like a susceptibility like susceptibility of the model towards an input like how sensitive a model is towards the input right so mm. uh, i mean that helps a lot in kind of debugging this model making this model you know more uh, guarded uh, from the adversarial attacks because you could think of uh, this is also a very interesting discussion i would say that uh, you know you could think of like a model like a bot that is deployed out there right and uh, and and like uh, you know adversarial attacks that can happen to machine learning models like if even if you make like small changes to the input which are unrecognizable by the human but really can change the output of the model so you really no, have no idea then what a bad example look like because you always work with good examples in your training uh, training data right mm -hmm. so and and just changing like so there is a very uh, interesting work that shows that with this text classification models like bard you can you you can add like a random gibberish word in front of every sentence in your prediction and it will drop the accuracy from 90% to less than 10% just adding oh. that random word so so you could think of that there is an attacker who is who is who is sitting somewhere and whenever you are passing like an input through your uh, through your cloud computing engine where it actually will hit the bot eventually it somehow adds that random word somewhere uh, in, in like in the middle of the pipeline and when it eventually hits your model it it basically input with that random word which doesn't have any meaning but it can drastically change the output quality of your model eventually that will break the model so so all of these are very important and and hopefully explainable ai 
or, or explainable machine learning systems would be able to detect saying that, hey, I can detect something new in the input and that's why I'm making the change of the prediction. So once you look at, so yeah, I mean, for example, it can still give you a good prediction or a bad prediction, but if you look at the ex explanation, you will see that, oh, this ex explanation doesn't really make any sense. Let me mm. check back to the, what, what, what really happened with the input or maybe you, you just discard that output. So that mm. could be really helpful. Great. Now, do you see um, NLP affecting businesses and our life in general big time? So in terms of our implications of NLP on our real life, what are the future trends that you see coming in next five years? Since I work on interactive systems and dialogue systems, hmm. I would like to believe that um, interactive systems is, is one of the future trends that I can see in the NLP. There could be many other things. For example, you know, a more generalizable future learning, uh, you know, explainable, explainable AI and, uh, and, and et cetera. So let's talk about one, uh, interactive systems. I think interactive system is going to be the future because eventually if we want to envision a future where we have AI deployed anywhere, for example, you know, as an assistant in the, in the self-driving car or even like an assistant in any, any other processes that we do every day, for example, writing an email or maybe you are making doing some creative writing or anything you can think of. And when you think of this AI as an assistive system, ideally it should be interactive, right? I mean, it should not, it should not be like one shot. Okay, it takes the input, it gives you an output, it stops there. So you have no idea what about what is that output, what does it mean? And if you are not happy with that output, you cannot really interact with the AI system. So ideally, we would like the AI system to be uh, interactive so that, okay, once, it's, once you see some output from a machine learning model, you should be able to say that, okay, I like this output or I don't like this output. And then you can reason out saying that why you don't like that output. And then you can actually ideally critic with an AI system, right? I mean, that's the ideal goal. I mean, that's where we can say that, okay, we have created something that is at par with the way human works, right? That you Yeah, I was to going to just say that, like, this is how humans build the knowledge. knowledge. Exactly. When we exactly. two are interacting, talking about NLP, in my brain, exactly. my neurons are adjusting and I'm kind of building knowledge. So, wow, I didn't know about that. Okay, so there is yeah. work going on in that area. Yeah, essentially, I mean, the, I mean, that's where we are heading, I think, making these conversational systems and interactive systems. Like, for example, think of chatbot, right? We all have mm -hmm. seen chatbots in many apps. Like, I think currently all food ordering apps uh, has like a ch inbuilt chatbot where you can just chat saying that, oh, where is my order? Where is my, uh, uh, you know, uh, like the delivery person? What is his location, etc. right? But you mm -hmm. should be able to do more than that. Uh, I can give you a very interesting example that I've been thinking recently. For example, I think we all go to you know various video streaming platforms like Netflix, etc. And Netflix comes up with its automatic recommendation saying that, okay, here are the set of movies that you might might like today, right? Based mm -hmm. on your uh, previous uh, you know, uh, surfing history or whatever. Uh, but, but it's possible that you uh, may not like that recommendation at that very, very point of time. You may say that, oh, no, I don't like this. Even if it reflects me, I don't like this recommendation because mm -hmm. I am in a mood of watching like a rom-com today or watching like a uh, you know, thriller movie today, right? Mm -hmm. How would you communicate that back to this engine? Because there is no way you could communicate that. It's one way. It's mm -hmm. always coming from the AI to you. Now, imagine that there is a way to interact with these recommendation systems. And there is a lot mm -hmm. of work that is going on. It's named conversational recommendation systems where you can actually make a conversation with this recommendation system saying that, hey, I like your recommendation, but I don't really like this and this aspect of this recommendation, could you refine your recommendation and give me something new, right? So there is an ability to critique these systems and saying that, okay, this is, this is the part I like, this is the part I don't mm -hmm. like, 
and how could you how could you give me like better re- recommendation and explanation also plays a, a great part here because let's say there is a, a there is a possibility that the ai system making a recommendation and is also giving you an explanation saying that hey you know you have watched romcom for last 5 days in the week so i think you are you are in a kind of spree of watching romcom movies and that's why i'm recommending you romcom movies mm. and you can correct the machine saying that hey even mm. if i even if i watched romcom movies for last 5 days today my friends came over and we want to see like a marvel movie today and mm. and you can update that recommendation providing that input at the real time talking with that particular ai system and that really makes you know uh, these systems really assistive because it's it actually helping you to achieve a goal the goal is really watching the right movie with your friends so yeah i think that's the future and 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 that's what i realize is going to help the users a lot uh, mm. in terms of like ai making changes in our life it could be that i'm watching a lot of entertainment videos on youtube and my exams are coming so for two months don't show me any entertainment video recommendation maybe show me some coding tutorials or something you know right now sure. youtube youtube has that by the way but sometimes you know when youtube doesn't show me correct recommendation i can click on those three dots and say not interested so the only yes. interaction i'm having is not interested but i can't say not interested for next 3 months and after that start showing me that yes or maybe even provided more nuanced input that you are not interested in that but what are you really interested about right you could mm. just you could just specify that saying you know i am interested about exam videos tutorial videos or whatever what not mm-hmm. and maybe maybe you could even write that why you are not interested about that there mm. is no way to provide that feedback even right, right now and that's where the nlp comes into play because you are going to provide that feedback using your voice or maybe write, writing a text message it cannot be like mm. a drop down because essentially <laughs> you cannot it, it cannot be like like a huge drop down list for every users right so you have to write yeah. that in a natural language so there has to be a way to understand what you say and everything I mean, all of that is already happening in chatbot but you could really think of a very cool application of that chatbot in this case and mm. uh, it could be really helpful yeah This is amazing. By the way, I have gone through this pain. Uh once I was I I visited Hawaii actually. So I was watching a mm-hmm. bunch of Hawaii videos on YouTube, like right. some travel recommendation, some helicopter tour I wanted to do there. And what happened was I came back from Hawaii tour and even after that for next 6 months, YouTube start kept on showing me those uh, those videos. So maybe yeah. I can tell YouTube that hey, I have visited Hawaii. don't show me all these videos for next 2 years maybe after 2 years i might visit hawaii again <laughs> exactly yeah so yeah so there's a great deal of like recommendation diversity versus recommendation fidelity right i mean what youtube is doing here like great job of coming up with recommendation that exactly fits your viewing history but it's not really coming up with very diverse recommendation i think you, youtube already has recommendation engines that do that but it doesn't have the ability to you know uh, to you know accept this feedback from the user at the real time and this not only opens uh, opens a challenge or like a problem for ai but this also opens a cha- opens like a new direction for the ui design because if you think about it the current youtube ui doesn't allow me to give that feedback at all so there should be like a fundamental change in the ui that currently youtube provides or, or for, for for that matter any any of this app provides right so it's it's not only a problem of ai itself it's problem of like the field of hci like how the human will interact with the computers uh, you know the whole ui uh, folks for them like how would you make this more seamless and you know less mm-hmm. buggy etc so it's mm-hmm. it's very interesting and and that's where we want to go with this ai systems with this powerful language models or whatever you call it nice amazing let's talk a little bit about your book 
So you wrote this book, yeah. Practical Nature Language Processing, along with right. some co-authors, by the way, one of your co-authors, Anuj Gupta. I interviewed him. We are going to provide a link of that video conversation as well. So let's mm-hmm. talk about the book, whom this book is for and what are you covering in this book? Yeah, so I think this book came from this very, uh, very idea that okay, what, what is the difference? Like we all understand that there is a difference between uh, the kind of research that is coming out every day from, from academia, from uh, what we are really uh, implementing every day in, in various industries. And I'm not only talking about big research labs, right? I mean, we are talking about even smaller companies, you know, small size and medium sized companies that every day do this job or trying to look up to these articles or papers and trying to implement them. So we really wanted to understand and talk about what is the cost of doing that? Like, is does it really make sense to go for this biggest model that is available or you should start differently? Uh, and we, we we talked about that a lot in the book. We said that, okay, it really depends on the, the, on the context, right? What problem you are solving? How much data do you have? What domain you are, you are at? And, and based on that, your strategy will change, right? So mm-hmm. the fundamental theme of this book is to coming up with a, uh, a complete pipeline uh, for any of your business problem that you have at your hand. And how will you go like one step at a time in that pipeline, starting from uh, understanding the problem, formulating the problem from data collection, from you know, uh, you know, updating your databases, from building a model, and then basically maintaining that model, everything. So if you ask me who is the right audience for this, I think everyone who is trying to do or who are already doing NLP in the industry, uh, should benefit from this book. And this book is not only for one particular set of audience. I think there are different sections of this book that are going to be very useful for different part of the audience. For example, like the like the introductory chapters and the uh, concluding chapters, they are they talk about very high level about NLP and this pipeline. And I think anyone who is up there in the business, they, they are looking at the problem from a very high level. They are going to benefit a lot from these chapters. Whereas there is like an engineer, let's say, who knows how to code and they're entering like a very, uh, you know, like a junior engineer who is entering to the industry and he they want, want to really ramp up on this LP basics and, you know, how, what are the different tasks, everything. Then the, then the second section, like the basics of NLP will be really helpful for them. And then we have a dedicated section for different domains, like, you know, e-commerce, healthcare, social media, et cetera. So let's say if you're, if you're, if you're an individual who is working in e-commerce and wants to know what are the possible business problems where I can apply NLP and how can we do that? You can actually go to that, those specific chapters and, and get a lot of references from it. So yeah, I mean, different parts of the book are kind of intended for different different audiences. And I think everyone has uh, has some of the need in the, for, the, for, for them in the book. Yeah. Just to summarize, it is useful to students, entrepreneurs, engineers, kind of everyone. So that, that's yeah, amazing. Most, yeah, I wouldn't recommend this, you know, I, I definitely, I should say a disclaimer that this is definitely not written for researchers and who are currently actively doing, you know, high level research in NLP, because this is still like a very, uh, like, I think the focus of this book is very different, but yeah, I mean, uh, but they might still get some benefits from the references that we provide. We have almost like more than 500 references in that book. So they might get like useful references in that and they might see that, okay, how their research could be helpful in industry. Amazing. We'll provide a link of your book website in the video description as well. Now let's Perfect. move on to some questions from the viewers. So there is yep. someone, his YouTube username is me. He's or I, I don't know he or she, but uh, the question is, the person is doing M-Tech uh, and he, has, he or she has done like 
do good publications as well. So the question is, should I get a PhD? So you're weighing down the option between doing PhD versus doing a job because uh, they have an offer, you know, good offer, paying offer right now from campus placement. So the person is a little confused, like PhD versus job. And if you do PhD, you know, like what kind of benefits you can get long term? Yeah, I would say this is really like an individual decision that what you want to do in your life. But but I, I, I could say like a couple of things that I uh, thought about when I came from uh, industry and joined for a PhD, right? So because I, I worked before uh, before I joined in BSD and my motivation really was to understand this field in a um, from a very close point of view and really, you know, be at the cutting edge and solving some of the fundamental questions I have in my mind. Right. So if you have that in your mind that you want to solve certain fundamental uh, fundamental questions like research questions and you know that you have already learned like required tool for that in, in your undergraduate or master degree, uh, then I think you should go for a PhD. Right. But PhD is kind of like a long term commitment as well, because you really need to go through these challenges of doing experiments and research and, you know, uh, you know, successes and failures. And it has its own pros and cons. Now, on the other hand, let's say if you want to don't want to wait for that long and you know that you know already the tools that you can you really want to apply them you know in a real life setting or like a lot of large scale data then i think industry is your place uh, again in industry you can do like there are research labs where you can do research for example um, but i think i think, uh, I, think re- I think it's kind of recommended to have like a more uh, research degree, for example, having like a PhD degree is always beneficial to get into this research roles in industry. At least that's mm-hmm. the current frame says. So yeah, I, I think it's it's an individual decision, but I think uh, I I think um, it, it depends like what you want to do. I mean, for example, I mean you can still build a very interesting profile and in in schools PhD like PhD applications. I mean, most of the advisors are looking for interesting profiles. It's not necessarily has to be strictly like like a lot of papers or if you don't even if you don't have a papers but have like mm-hmm. a very interesting profile then some of the um, advisor might be interested about that as well so yeah one of the question was uh, the person wants to work on amazon google research team and i guess if you work, want to work for big firms research team of course phd is going to be very very helpful yeah uh, it's going to be very very helpful yeah Another question is, does U.S. and Canadian universities provide stipend for a PhD student? Yeah, I think most of the uh, I think most of the PhD students are are funded by the university. I think it again depends on of kind of on kind of offer you get from the university. But I think most of the cases is uh, they will be uh, getting stipends. Athanikar Ami is asking how to explore machine learning startup ideas using natural language processing. So some NLP startup ideas and people say that data science projects fail 80% of the time. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I think that's a great question. And that's something uh, that's a very practical question. And that's something we wanted to deal, uh, deal in our book as well that, okay, uh, where where most of where these pipeline works and why do they actually fail right i mean mm. it, 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 often that we we go for the big guns and uh, we i mean they, it fails because it takes a lot of time at the inference and blah 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 i think what's what's most important is uh, to coming up with new ideas for a specific domain i'm sure you are targeting a specific domain when you think about like a startup ideas uh, that you really understand the domain and find out the problem where you can effectively use like a mm, uh, you know in a nlp tool to solve that problem. 
and I, and another important part is that the amount of data you have like what data you are starting with do you really need to collect more data or can you solve this problem with uh, like limited amount of data all of these all of these are very important thinking about the data is one of the main uh, crucial components about uh, towards the success of a data science project often we 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 don't have sufficient data or we are using like a model that probably is not fitted for the data or maybe we are using mm. like uh, too many things for a, for a simple problem and that's probably and that i think a majority of the time that is the reason why 80% of the data science project fails because we are not doing the right thing we are just doing the most popular thing you shouldn't do that right your strategy really will depend on your problem amount of data you have and maybe maybe and actually it's true that often this rule based systems work pretty well and <laughs> if it works well you should just stick to that you should not use uh, the big guns just for the sake of using it uh, uh, but yeah i mean yeah it's 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 important to understand that and uh, you, you could get a lot of such insights from our book as well anuj mentioned this thing in our last conversation that right you are trying to solve this problem of you know like there are so many labor or labor workers like daily wage earners in india and they want to apply for jobs and they were building a system you were using uh, whatsapp you want to apply for a job and they tried bird and it failed horribly because the language the slang that they are using is something bird is not trained on so it just simply doesn't work mm-hmm. exactly yeah i mean so eventually if you just keep on using this model just like a black box then it's going to be difficult all right so your book you mentioned healthcare domain retail different domains you have in book you have mentioned different ideas so maybe uh athanikar if you are interested maybe buy the book you'll get a lot of lot of different ideas in various domains where you can apply nlp and anyone listening who who have entrepreneurship dreams and you want to you know do a startup in data science or ai i think this book will provide you a lot of ideas all right correct the yeah. next question is sarath uh, tathi konda how to land a job in facebook as a fresher um i think probably this person means maybe a in the ai or general like facebook as a fresher how do you get a job <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean uh, i think yeah uh, it really depends the kind of role you are looking for are you looking for a software engineering role or are you looking for like a data scientist role or even like something like air in the air research Uh, again it re- it really depends uh, but but i can talk about the kind of the research roles that are currently available in facebook of course you need to show that you you are capable of doing research uh, i mean and one of the good ways of showing that that you have a couple of applications uh, in the area that you are working with or you have showed your research potential in somehow for example writing articles or blogs um, uh, meaningful things and you know summarizing a lot of research papers i think in general as a software engineering i think i think you would know better Uh, I guess because you are uh, yeah looking for a job uh, like a, a, software a yeah software engineer I would say like nowadays these companies rely so much on competitive coding so yeah, yeah exactly yeah. competitive yeah. coding lit code data structure computer architecture you need to be very very strong in those and there are yeah. some portals they even provide services with like mock interviews so if you you know pay some money and I'm not marketing those companies but mock interview going through that mock interview experience really helps perform better during the actual yes, interview yeah 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 all so right. yeah exactly like like you said all right let's tackle the last question now dipankar rahul day is asking how to learn nlp in step by step manner i have used spacy in my organizational projects like pure stacking dependency parsing text classification phrase matching it would be better to have a complete road map 
uh, from an expert <laughs> yeah i think uh, i think uh, yeah i think the, the the answer is that you can just take a look at our book as i said that the like the second section where we talk about a lot of basic nlp tasks and we we discuss spacey along with other tools that you can use to learn this so i think that's a great start and not really only our book but you can get like a lot of good tutorials and there are a lot of good courses from stanford for example uh, that are available in coursera that you can you can just subscribe and and go through them and it really depends on how much you want to go for it uh something you will you will find very interesting is basically in our book that there are lots of references even if we don't discuss it uh, uh just because of it was out of the scope but you can find a lot of references to good articles materials books papers and tutorials that you can go through if you really want to dig deep in, in, into that so yeah and dipankar i am also going to start uh, uh, a series on nlp because many of my viewers have asked me for so watch out for that my deep learning series is coming to an end almost so i might start nlp series pretty soon uh well thank you very much bodhisattva for this awesome yeah. conversation i think you provide a lot of useful insights uh, do you have any final like closing remarks yeah i would say that uh, i we are we are we are at the juncture of exciting times in ai especially in nlp because we are growing a lot faster but uh, mm-hmm. but i think what we should really um, be careful about using this ai uh, meaningfully like whenever we are applying especially in user domains like healthcare and you know e-commerce education etc uh, but i think yeah i think we are all well aware of that and lots of companies are working towards making these ai systems very safe effective you know bias free etc right and socially compatible so yeah i mean I, i am very excited to be in this field at this right, at this point of time and i'm sure you 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 all will be and thank you code basics for for inviting me uh for this uh, for this great conversation really enjoyed it and and hope these these things will help uh, some of you down the line thank you so much they will definitely i myself learned a lot thank you very much i will end this now thanks thank you thank you, thank you.